We're going to start in Song of Solomon 8, verse 7 this morning. If a man would give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly despised. If a man would give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly despised. The Beatles were 3,000 years late figuring out that you can't buy love. Solomon had it figured out uh, 3,000 years ago. If somebody pays for love, God says it will be utterly despised, and that, that utterly despised could be taken both ways. The man who buys love, the person that he's paying off, doesn't love him. They hate him, they just, or they want his money, or something. The 75-year-old billionaire who marries the 25-year-old gold digger, that's not love. And she just, she doesn't love him, she just wants him for his money. But it goes both ways because he also knows she doesn't love me, and he ends up despising her just because she's just after me for my money. But... Some of the guys don't care. If we pay for love, you're just going to end up being despised. Ask the girls who work in the world's oldest profession. They will tell you that what the guys pay for is not love. The porn industry and prostitution prove that people are willing to pay a lot of money. Billions of dollars. But it isn't love. And in the end, it's just despicable. Not only can we not buy love, we cannot acquire it in any way whatsoever. It is impossible to get love. But we have a lot of tools that we use to try to get it. Some people try to force others to love them. Some people use their temper and you may use your temper to get your husband or your wife or your children to do what you want, but that isn't love. And in the end, you're going to be despised. Some people try crying. You could probably cry enough to make your husband do what you want, but he doesn't love you for it. Some people try whining and complaining and nagging. You're not going to nag love out of anybody. And we do some crazy things to try to get somebody to love us, to do what we want. You cannot nag your spouse or your teenager enough to get them to care. Some people try begging. Some people try manipulation. Some people try earning it. If I just work hard enough, if I, if I wash the dishes enough, she'll, she'll come around. If I, if, I just, if I just work hard, I can get... His attention. There's people who come to the church and, and they, want to, they want to serve in a lot of areas and they work really hard and I find out after the fact that what they were really trying to do was get my attention. They weren't serving the Lord. They just wanted my friendship. So they're trying to earn it. Some people try being really, 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 really nice. That isn't love, it's selfishness. Some people try explaining or teaching or trying or bribing or, or pouting. You don't do what I want, I'm going to not talk to you for a week. Give you the silent treatment. 
you might get what you want. You might avoid some trouble, but it isn't love. Some people try prying their way into somebody else's heart. You can't make someone else love you. You know that when, when the really creepy creeper tries to creep his way into the girl's life, it's terrifying, it's sick, it's gross. All attempts at trying to get somebody else to love you are sick and gross. We just don't think of some of them as, as creepy as the others. And the fact of the matter is that the more we try to get love out of somebody, the worse we make it. The worse things get and the less the other person wants to love us. Because you're either being controlling or angry or pouty or resistant or whatever. Literally everything we do messes it up if we're trying to get it out of somebody else. I can't actually make anybody do anything. And I can't stop anyone from doing anything. And I can't make anyone understand anything. And it's not just love. We can't force anyone to be thankful. We can't make someone be peaceful. We can't force gentleness or graciousness or thoughtfulness, any of the virtues. All of the virtues cannot be bought. They cannot be forced. They cannot be manipulated. They cannot be dragged out of anybody. But we just sang, Jesus paid it all. He paid a lot for love. So how does that work? Because he did. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Colossians 1.14 says, the son paid for our sins, and in him we have forgiveness. And 1 Peter 1 says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It, your soul was paid for with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus literally paid with this very last drop of blood, he paid for your relationship with him. So what's the difference? If you can't buy love, if you can't make it happen, what's Jesus paying for? He's paying to give love, not to get it. Jesus paid everything to give love away, not to buy it. Nothing he did was to make you love him. There was zero selfishness in what he did on the cross or in anything else in his life. It was so that he could love you. He paid the highest price ever to give love. There was no manipulation, no force, not even an expectation that you would love him back. If he's hanging on the cross and he expects even one person to say thank you, it ruins it all. 
because that's selfishness. He had zero expectation that anyone would love him back. So what's he doing? If he paid for us and bought us, he owns our very souls. But he can't force us to love him because that isn't love. What is he doing? Well, we find him in Revelation 3 doing this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is the most astounding humility. Here is Jesus outside the door of his own church, and we have shut the door on him. This is after the cross, after the resurrection, after he bought our souls with his very blood, and he's standing outside the door of his church, the people who claim to be his bride, and we've shut the door on him, and he's just standing outside waiting. When he has all authority, when he has all power, when he has every right to do whatever he wants with us, what is he doing? He's waiting for us to open the door. He's waiting for his church, and he's waiting for each individual person. He's knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to open the door and invite him in. When he has every right to do anything else, he waits because love has to be a gift. It has to be given. Not even Jesus can demand love. He can't make another person love him, just as we cannot. Love cannot be bought or manipulated or demanded or pouted. It can only be received as a gift from the other person. In the parable of the prodigal son, what's the father who's representing God? What's the father doing? He's waiting. He's not out forcing his son to get it right. He's not out helicoptering in to rescue him. He's not out trying to nag him into coming home. He's not waiting with resentment. So I go, well, when, he, when he finally gets his head out of you know where and comes back, I'll let him come to the ranch. No, he's, he's waiting in love. I want my son home. Because any attempt to coerce love Ruins it. You can't make it happen. And of all the options, I think waiting is probably the most excruciating one. The most difficult, the most self-sacrificing. So therefore, it has to be God. Now listen closely, I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about waiting, I'm not talking about behavior, I'm not talking about child discipline and obedience to authority, setting boundaries where you need to set them. You can't just wait on your four-year-old to figure out love and morality and good behavior, all right? You can force your toddler to do what's right. That's not immoral. You can spank their butt and you should, but you can't make them be sorry. Seriously, we can put the violent criminal in prison, and we should, but we can't make him care. I'm talking about love. I'm not talking about behavior and authority. Um, you can set a boundary with your mother-in-law or your daughter-in-law, but you can't make her accept you. So stop trying. 
because you're making it worse. Because you can't force love. When I say it, it seems so self-evident, but it's so impossibly, terrifyingly difficult. Because authentic love has to be completely voluntary. Any tactic we use to get it ruins it. It must be freely given and freely received. Everything else is sin. Love is our most primal need because God is love. And the sole reason we were created for communion with him, we're supposed to be one with love himself. But because of our sin, we lost God. And our separation from him leaves us with our most foundational need unmet. But that need must be met. Spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, even physically, it must be fulfilled. And so the Lord showed me yesterday morning, all sin can be reduced down to us trying to find love somewhere other than God. Or to substitute something for the love of God. Or to numb the pain of not being loved by God. That's all sin. In human history, it is us trying to substitute something. It's us trying to get love in some way other than God or to numb the pain of being unloved. And when we feel unloved, we go crazy. It is our greatest fear and our strongest unconscious need and our deepest pain. And then everything we do to get it sabotages it. Literally. Everything, if we try to get it, I'm sabotaging it. Which only increases the sin and the pain and the fear and the anger. But here's Jesus standing outside the door of your heart. He's standing outside the door of his own church, his own bride, and, and she hasn't let him in. Even though he's done absolutely everything to make relationship there are people who won't let him in. But he's not angry. He's not kicking the door down. He's not begging. He's not nagging. He's not criticizing. He's not blowing up. He's not crying. He's at perfect peace. He's perfectly calm. He is waiting. How is that possible? On the cross, which is the ultimate rejection, the ultimate hatred in the history of the universe. We know he was in deep distress. He's sweating blood. And he was more alone than any human being ever was or has been or will be because he was abandoned by God. Not even the unsaved people have been separated from the presence of God before. But he's abandoned by God. And what's he doing? He's rational. He's calm. He's taking care of mom. While he's hanging on a tree on nails, he's taking care of his mom. He's taking care of the guy hanging next to him. He's telling the ladies that are crying, don't cry for me, cry for your city. He's self-controlled during the most intense moment of hatred in the history of the universe. None of us will ever be rejected as strongly and thoroughly as he was in that moment. And he isn't 
having a pity party. He has no need to be loved. How is that possible? I think the Lord told me yesterday it's because of his faith and the love of his father. His need was thoroughly and completely fulfilled already. Because he knew God was with him and he knew God loved him. And he had no psychological or emotional demand to be loved. Because he knew he was. He'd already received it all. So he is loved and he knew it. All his needs are fulfilled and he didn't feel anything other than love for his haters because he was completely full of the love of God. He had no needs, no demands, no fear because he knew he was loved fully and completely. Jesus, save us. I am not that way. And I don't think you are either. Jesus teaches what it means to be full of the love of God like you. To be that calm while the door is shut in our face. To be that calm while we're suffering that much pain and rejection. To be so confident in the love of God that even when you were completely and utterly alone, you were completely and utterly selfless. We cannot do that without you, Jesus. I want to point out that Jesus, outside the door of your heart, outside the door of his church, is not passively waiting. I'm using the word waiting, but he's not passive. What's he doing? He's knocking. Hello, I'm here and I want in. I'm here and I want in. I love you. It's safe to open the door. Come out, come out wherever you are. Jesus is knocking. The father in the prodigal son story, the father is watching, waiting, longing for his son to come home. He isn't passively waiting. Well, my son is an idiot and when he gets his act together, he'll come home. Isn't some sort of resigned passivity to a broken relationship. I met a, I've met more than one guy who's that stereotypical, well, my dad and I had words when I was 16 and I haven't been home since in 30 years, that kind of thing. Sometimes the relationships are so broken that the only way to survive is to just be resigned to it. And Jesus isn't passive in his waiting. The father is not. I heard Derek Prince say last week, God hates passivity. I read a David Wilkerson sermon, which will be in your bulletin next week, uh, that passive kindness is counterfeit forgiveness, that God requires aggressive reconciliation. But I just told you you can't make anything happen, and then David Wilkerson says we have to be aggressive about our reconciliation. What does that mean? I don't know. You'll have to figure it out. I'm not Jesus. You have to ask him. But where is the line between... I'm pushing and I'm getting pushy and bossy and forceful and that's wrong and I'm being too passive and I'm just allowing this to be and I'm not doing what I can do to make peace. I don't know, I'm not your conscience. You gotta know the Lord yourself. I don't have this figured out. I'm a bigger screw up in this than anybody in the room but have you done everything possible to be reconciled to that person? Down to the last drop of blood, I think not. 
as much as depends on you, be at peace with everyone? Have you done everything possible? Some of you have. Like you've honestly repented of your sin. You've asked forgiveness. You've made yourself available. And the other person isn't ready to open the door yet. Wait. Keep knocking. It's the difference between knocking and kicking the door down. Yeah? At appropriate volumes and appropriate frequency, keep knocking. You don't want to make yourself a pest. And you'll know when you are. (laughs) The other person will let you know (laughs) that you've become an annoyance. But we can't just passively wait and think, well, they're just going to have to figure it out. No, we have to be intentional about our reconciliation. Jesus' kindness is, is, is waiting on our love is not passively waiting. It is active waiting. So stop trying to make it happen. You just got to wait to receive because love has to be a gift. You can't make your prodigal child return. You can't force your parent to apologize or even to see it. You can't make anybody else see anything or understand anything. You can't bribe your rebellious teenager into actually caring what you think. You can't argue your marriage into peace. I mean, how dumb are we? But we do it. We're going to fight our way to success. We must wait on the other person to give love as a free gift. All I can control is myself. Have I truly done everything I can to give love? Have I repented of my own sin? Have I intentionally and actively and sincerely apologized and asked forgiveness for what I've done? Am I living Matthew 5? Do good to those who misuse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Are you doing that? Then keep knocking. Keep waiting. Let them know, I'm here. I want relationship. I want reconciliation. I want peace. I love you. I don't want to force anything. I just want to give love. If we can get that right, which is impossible without Jesus, but if we can get that right, it's real love. Amen? Jesus, help us. We are not like you. Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for your model. Thank you for your perfect love. You don't force your way into our heart. You just knock and wait for us to open it. You don't force your way into your own church that you paid for with your own blood. The people who claim to love you, the people who claim to be your bride, we, you just wait outside for us to let you in. Thank you for showing us what real, true love is. We can't do it without you, Jesus. But with you, all things are possible. And there is no hopeless situation. Lord, I bless every heart and every mind here, every relationship that's represented, every care and every burden and every desire and every broken heart. 
Lord, give us the faith and the love of God that you had when you were on the cross. That we would know that we know that we know that our Father loves us and that we're safe and we're whole and, and we don't need to demand anything of anybody. Because we're totally fulfilled in you. That we're not here to get love, we're here to give it. Thank you, Father, for your unfailing love. For your everlasting love. I pray that everyone here, Lord, would know and experience and even feel what that means. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. We bless your holy name.